0: This is Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender, experience, and perspective. I'm Amy Breslow. Each week, I invite a different guest to share their personal experiences regarding gender and gender issues. When I use the word gender, I mean the range of social roles, personality traits, attitudes, behaviors, values, and relative power that society assigns to females, males, and other individuals. Gender is an identity that is learned. How we define gender changes over time and can vary within and across cultures. This podcast is recorded at my kitchen table and may contain sounds of life from my home and neighborhood in Washington DC. Episode 27. My guest today is V, who identifies as a black woman, a student, and a creative and prefers she, her pronouns. Hello, V. Welcome to Your Own Voice. I'm so pleased to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So V, I'd
1: like to start off by asking, how do you identify? I identify as a Black woman, a student, a creative. Gosh, I think there are so many things. That's such a heavy question, but I'll leave it there for now.
0: When in your life? did you first become aware of different gender roles?
1: I can't say that I've ever felt as if there was an awareness of gender roles. They were there, just like the air. They were always being communicated through actions, through, I'll say, social context. You know, what you see, what you hear, uh, family dynamics. My grandfather and my grandmother both worked outside of the home, but my grandmother was a domestic. So she took on what you might now consider a more traditional feminine role. She cleaned other people's homes. My grandfather, uh, prior to the, I'm sure by the time I was He had retired already, but my understanding was he was a contractor um, before his retirement. So he worked with his hands. He built things. I recall there being stories like he helped build that hospital. So there was always this association with certain types of work being for certain genders. Um, And then, you know, even in the expectations of how those relationship dynamics work, um, women always fixing men a plate, men eating first. uh, Those things were just always embedded in my understanding of the social dynamics of not only a family, but in broader spaces. So recognizing that there was kind of this clear expectation of, My grandmother was the cook and the homemaker. And even though she worked outside of the home, these were considered her additional responsibilities where my grandfather worked and he relaxed and he watched TV with his feet up. And, you know, just this expectation that inside the home, beyond what people contribute um, in terms of their work outside, there was this expectation
0: of what each does. V, what issues of gender do you confront in the workplace, or is it a non issue for you?
1: I think it's a very interesting question and a great question. Um, When we started, you asked me how I identified, and I identify as a black woman. So when I hear the question, What gender um, issues or what gender experiences I've had in the workplace, I am unable to extrapolate what is identified as my race from my gender. Um, I enter my workspaces as a black woman. So I can't necessarily say that what's going to follow is going to reference just my gender or is it um, a compounding and an inclusion of both my blackness and my identification as a woman. I do consider them issues, but I also consider them at this point to just Be a part of what is my experience on a larger scale, not just in workspaces as a black woman. Um, Navigating what are some of the stereotypical expectations that can be subtly communicated, whether those who communicate them realize that or not. Um, And that has come in the form of having my communication style questioned and the inference an application of the, I'll call it the stereotype of the angry black woman. It really came out of left field, but was told, oh, I've received feedback about your communication. Um, It it could be a bit, uh, um, I think the word used was aggressive, wasn't angry, but it was aggressive. And what I found very interesting about that is I've never or, you know, in reference to that particular situation, I couldn't recall a time where I had raised my voice or had expressed the emotion of anger. Um, So I was really puzzled as to why my communication was labeled aggressive when I had actually seen and experienced what I would more clearly identify as aggressive communication from some Other white colleagues, peers, um, I mean, cursing, loud voices, you know, people actually getting into heated exchanges with each other. They were men. They were white. But I had never heard anybody categorize their communication as aggressive or, despite my own feedback about what I had seen or witnessed, have it addressed. The same way my communication communication yeah in (laughs) airports yeah (laughs) being described as aggressive and i remember addressing that and saying and really pushing back that it sounds as if this feedback is based on recency and based on some one person's opinion or feeling about being addressed in a very direct manner and that was just, and I'm only sharing that one example, but that's just one indication of where I feel like I realize the rules aren't the same for me.
0: There's a double standard, it absolutely, like.
1: absolutely. And again, I'm not able to differentiate between it being a product of my blackness. I identified it as a stereotype associated with black women, but also my womanness because I also recognize that there there's this stereotypical expectation that women are emotional men are just as emotional you know these ideas that some behaviors and some characteristics are traditionally related to or afforded to or used on one particular gender right if a man were to get Excited about a conversation. He's just passionate and he's enthusiastic and he really believes in what he's saying. And for me to have a, the same or similar conversation, or let's say I'm the other person engaged in that conversation with said man, then there are all of these negative connotations associated. I'm too emotional. I'm too invested. I am unable to separate business from personal. I'm aggressive. He's just doing great work. And I'm sorry that that happened to you. You are not alone. No. You were really not alone. I appreciate it. But it's honestly, especially as women, we tend to take on the mantle of apologizing for things that aren't ours and or not, right? That's like if someone were to bump into me nine times out of 10, I will say, excuse me instead of excuse you and these are the things that i know myself i have done uh, but just realizing that there there is that conditioning there is that pervasive it's like the air these expectations that we are somehow expected to minimize our presence to afford comfort to others whoever that other might be for me as a black woman that other Honestly takes many forms because for me, that other can be a white man. It can be a white woman. It can be, you know, someone of any other race and ethnicity. That's not mine to include black men. The expectation is I will minimize my presence to afford comfort to anyone who falls in a category other than my own. Which. Over time has led To In some instances, this questioning, this second guessing, this kind of subversive but ever present hesitation and trepidation around what an interaction will look like. I find myself trying to think through it before it has occurred.
0: That must be exhausting. It actually is. There
1: is a term for it. Some of it is emotional labor. I think at times because we've gotten so used to that way of existing, we don't really question it until we're like, that's something about this. Just why do I feel so stressed? Just existing. Why does it feel like there's always this extra thing that I have to consider, um, whether it's in choice of words, whether it's in, you know, dress. Um, I can't say that this has been my personal experience because I do believe I have in my own small bubble uh, pushed back and resisted. But it can include things like my hair in the workplace. Again, I, th- I think I've just been extremely resistant and I'm like, I dare someone to question <laughs> how I'm going to wear my hair and link that to the work that I'm performing and the level at which I perform it. But I know that those are serious concerns and considerations for lots of women, in particular black women, and just feeling that their reception in certain spaces is predicated on how they show up how they speak, how they dress, how they express. And some of those are shared, right? I I can only say I haven't really done the hair thing, but I'd be fibbing if I didn't say that it hasn't been a thought fleeting, but a thought. I thought about it for two seconds and then I thought, I don't care. But there was a thought there. Why is the thought even there? When I know that there are certainly other women who might not question, of course I'm gonna wear my hair like this. Because I want to you know and it's that that extra work that goes into how we choose to show up how we feel we are able to show up uh what we feel we can do comfortably without recourse right because some of it
0: is well what will come next if I do x You reminded me of something that I've actually talked a lot about with my LGBT friends, which is this idea of risk mitigation and really thinking about if I'm making a decision, how much risk am I going to have to incur? And if you have anything more to say about that, please do.
1: I think in some ways the experience is similar. And for members of the LGBTQIA plus community, I think there's certainly the similarity of some of these decisions feel like life and death decisions where to someone else it's what color am I going to wear today? Okay. So the gravity and the weightedness of what it means to either Show up fully, or to somehow manage how you choose to show up with what you believe the response to that choice will be. Um, it does involve some emotional labor because it's it's that it's what's happening inside of you to have to make those choices and to recognize that in that choice making it could be a life or death decision. In the case of, you know, being a black woman, I think now it's a little less life or death, but in the same vein, is it career progression or career suppression? So in those ways, yeah, there's this fundamental lasting impact potentially of the decisions that are made. And I think at times the mitigation for some communities and the mitigation for other communities looks very different. Unfortunately, I can't take the black off. So there's no way to make a choice that will allow me to somehow shield the world from that part of my identity.
0: What do you think is possible today, given the current conversation around gender that was not possible even a few years ago? very good question and if i'm
1: honest i struggle with the question because there are times when i don't feel as optimistic about the answers and i hate to be the glass half empty person i think because my lens includes an experience that hasn't changed very much with the introduction things like the me too movement including even the times up movement I think it's brought to conversation spaces, these topics. But when it comes to the realities of the experiences, I don't know if there have been as many changes. I'm not suggesting that the conversation isn't being impactful. I think even having the conversation certainly has value, but at some point it will have to move beyond conversation spaces and into action. And I think that's where... Progress will occur a bit more slowly because it is fundamentally challenging the very core of our way of being as individuals. And I say that from the perspective of, and I think we've heard of things like toxic masculinity. Well, you still have a host of male stakeholders who do not and have not acknowledged or do not wish to acknowledge that that is a thing. That somehow the ways of gendering that they've experienced, because that's actually what it is, are problematic. Because that will require that people take long, hard looks at not only their own behavior, but the ways in which they have encouraged their sons, The ways that they have encouraged their brothers, the ways that they have encouraged their friends, the things that they have supported, the things that they have been complicit in because they have not challenged them. And I see that as a form of support as well, right? If you aren't going to challenge it, then you are communicating that you are comfortable. So I think these conversations are important. You have smaller pockets of men who are having these eye-opening moments and have also decided to join the Me Too and Times Up movement in solidarity and support and may now proudly proclaim themselves feminists but these things are still issues for women. Understood. You know. Understood. Yes, there's a positive impact in being able to find safe space, being able to find support for conversations, feeling empowered to speak up when things do occur. But I think the real progress is when we are moving toward a reduction, a minimization of occurrences, you know, to include eradicating these violent acts against women. Because that is exactly what they are in various forms. Violence is not only physical. And. When there comes a space and time when we're moving conversations into action that don't only acknowledge these traumatic and violent experiences against women, but move us to um, making changes in the behaviors, making changes in how we communicate gender roles and expectations and what behaviors we um, applaud or cheer and, and the behaviors that we denounce and, you know, Say no, that's not okay until those things are happening, and they're happening at the family level. That's where they need to happen, where boys are encouraged to. Recognize and embrace their emotions. Where young boys are encouraged to, um, you know, respect women. It's not just respect your mom and your grandmother and your sister. It's respect the woman that you don't know. All of these things. It's this expectation that when children reach dating age, that young boys aren't expected to date a lot or have a girlfriend, and then it's not condoned in his family that he's also dating or entertaining these other women. But why is it that when young boys speak to their fathers or when it becomes, I'll say family knowledge that maybe this young man has become sexually active, that he isn't applauded and praised as that's right, that's daddy's boy. And the young lady isn't vilified for having the same sexual interests or possibly, you know, having those similar experiences. It's in those pockets and shifting those outcomes and those behaviors that I think will lead to um, larger and broader implications for things like the Me Too movement. You know, Me Too was born out of a a sense of community and solidarity through the trauma and violence. It's Me Too, as in, sis, you have a friend in me because I know that experience. You have a safe place with me because I've had that happen to me. And if I'm honest. Building community around trauma, while I think it's helpful, shouldn't be the goal.
0: Can you tell me about a time when you thought, I can't do something, or if I try to do this thing, that the consequences would be so great that it simply wasn't worth trying?
1: I can't say that I haven't had those thoughts, but... I can say that those thoughts haven't kept me from pursuing that thing, whatever it was. For me, it's usually been around when to speak up, when to use my voice in dissension. When you're agreeing with what's going on, there usually aren't hesitations or questions around, is there potential negative consequence to my action but it's when you are challenging others or what might be the more popular opinion Mm -hmm. or belief it's when I have thought that my voice will be the only speaking against this thing so it's interesting because I don't know if it's ever shown up in I'll say more tangible outcomes. Like I can't do this thing. Like maybe it's go somewhere, pursue this outcome. I think I've experienced it more frequently in, do I speak up? Do I challenge what might be perceived as the authority in this situation? Do I say no in a room full of yeses? Do I raise questions when everybody else is like, no, it sounds great. I'm like, no, it doesn't. And in those moments, I have thought about it. I struggle with it because I do anticipate that there's certainly going to be some fallout. But if I'm honest, I've done it anyway. And I think there have been times when the outcome has been positive, especially if it's impacted someone else. For me, it has, um, in my line of work, it has led to me helping people find new job opportunities where their path was being limited by others and you know it's led to those folks and i will say it tends to take on more of an advocacy outcome because usually when i'm speaking up it's either for myself and others or others in an effort to improve their potential outcomes because i recognize that there's a greater risk if nobody says anything
0: And just for folks listening who don't know, you work in the human resources arena.
1: Yes, yes, I work in human resources. And my approach to human resources and people work has always been, I feel like it is my responsibility to advocate for those employees in spaces where they aren't necessarily invited, in rooms where they are not part of the conversation, but their interests are still valid and important. And the outcomes for them are so much more real than they might be for the decision makers in those rooms. I feel it is my responsibility to advocate for them, to speak for them, to speak against a machine that might otherwise roll over them. And no, I don't think the companies that have ever hired me (laughs) anticipate that I'm, you know, I consider my first priority to be the employees. I do truly believe that the business of an organization is rendered useless and
0: impossible without the work of the people. Is there something you'd like to see everyday people do to make a change around gender?
1: Yes, and I think the answer I'm about to give will sound extremely simplistic, but I think it is extremely important. And to me, it would just be to show compassion, show empathy, and show love to those that we encounter. Um, we don't know their stories. We don't know their experiences. But to be more open in that way, to hear and listen and be that kindness that we want to receive in the world. Because I think that is where change happens. It's in recognizing that I may not know you. I may not know your story. Um, but I can be compassionate. If you share it, I can be empathetic. And whether you share it or not, I can show you
0: love. Is there anything else that you would like to add either on a question I already asked or something that didn't come up yet? thing that I would suggest is that
1: We listen to women. And for me, I know I identify as a Black woman, and that looks like listen to Black women, listen to Asian women, listen to Latina women, listen to indigenous women, listen to women. Our knowledge, our experience, it's real. And if there was more effort put into listening to us and hearing us, I think it's possible that we could find ourselves other than where we are right now.
0: V, thank you so much. I am so grateful that you came over today and thank you for sharing your thoughts.
1: Thank you for inviting me and letting me share. Thank you for hearing me.
0: You've been listening to Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. Your Own Voice is produced by me, Amy Breslow, with IT support from Alex Moreno and is registered with Protect Right, music by Kevin McLeod. If you have comments or questions you'd like addressed on the show, please submit them on the website, yourownvoice.org contact. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, I invite you to check out my Patreon page, patreon.com yourownvoicepodcast. Thank you for joining us today. I'll be back in two weeks with the next episode. Until then, take care and be well.